Have our Bible reading today from Luke 19, verse 1 to 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay him back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Why don't we pray just as we... uh into that if you've got a you might have a phone or something where you can look up the passage that'd be a handy thing to be able to do i don't is it printed off for us it is oh it's printed off for you you don't need to print it at all just look in the leaflet you'll be fine let me pray as we get started heavenly father we thank you so much for your great love and mercy towards us we thank you for the way in which that grace infuses our hearts and minds and father we ask that as we come to this passage really which is an account of your kindness Uh, that you'll uh, just grow us in that delight in your generosity towards us in your Son. Uh, Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Many of you will have heard of Mark Brandon Reed. He was born on the 17th of November, 1954. Most of you probably will know him better by uh, his nickname, Chopper Reed. Uh, As soon as I say that, you're very familiar with him. He died on the 9th of October, 2013 a notorious criminal. He grew up in Collingwood. He became a ward of the state when he was 14 years of age. And he started out on his criminal career by uh, robbing drug dealers. Right? That's an interesting choice, uh, but that's what he did. Over his life, he was convicted of a number of different crimes, including armed robbery, uh, firearms offences, assault, and kidnapping. Between the ages of 20 and 38 years, he spent 13 months out of prison. Okay, So he spent the whole of his time being incarcerated over that period. He admitted uh, later on in his life to being a hitman, everyone suspected it, and he owned up to killing 19 people and having made 11 other attempts on people's lives. By all accounts, a delightful man that any parent would be just chuffed to have babysitting their primary school age children, right? Uh, no, he wasn't that sort of person at all. So I want to imagine for a moment that someone decided they'd produce a, a, a sort of a animated, you know, a, a illustrated children's storybook that parents could read to their children each night before they went to bed based on Chopper Reed's life, right? Just trying to think that one through, you know. Here we are, you know, page 14. Here is Chopper Reed executing uh, with a, a little firearm, uh, victim number 14, right? Of course, it'd just be stupid. It'd be bizarre and totally wrong for someone to do that. Can I say, though, that sometimes that's exactly the approach that we take when we come to this passage in Luke chapter 19 and we focus on Zacchaeus? So some of us, if you've been around Christian circles for a while, you'll have grown up with children's 
you know, songs uh, floating through your head about Zacchaeus. Can you remember any of them? The one I keep remembering is, uh, I'll sort of half sing it for you. Know, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he, climbed up in, you know, like it's, it's a lovely, bouncy, little, friendly, you know, sort of story about Zacchaeus. But, you know, Zacchaeus wasn't just a, a wee little friendly person. He was a wee little thug, right? That's the reality. Uh, and we need to understand that when we come to this passage. You pick it up if you go to verse 2 in Luke chapter 19. He's described as a chief tax collector. Now, if you're in the tax department, I'm not casting any aspersions on your career choice, but in this context, uh, in Luke's gospel, tax collectors are always linked to sinners. You see, it wasn't a noble profession. Uh, They'd be viewed just like we would view someone who decided to go overseas and join ISIS or something like that. Um, A terrorist or a, a trader, someone into extortion, maybe physical threat if they didn't pay their bills. Friends, he wasn't a man you would tell stories to your children to when they were going to bed. He's not that sort of person. So let's take a closer look and see what what is going on in this passage. What we discover is Zacchaeus is a man who is lost, even though he knows exactly where he is. At the end of this section, Luke 19, verse 10, it concludes in this way. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And this section has all been about Zacchaeus. So obviously we're being told Zacchaeus is a lost person. But lost in what sense? It's pretty clear that he knew his way around Jericho. Probably he had a mansion there and uh, he was very familiar enough so that when he saw Jesus couldn't get close, all he did was wander up the road, found a tree he could climb up because he knew Jesus would be coming past in due course, right? He is not lost in that sense. Uh, Lost maybe in the sense that He'd lost his way. His life was dysfunctional. He was a social outcast that no one really wanted to have anything to do with. I guess lost in that sense. But he's especially lost in the sense that he's a long way from God. And he knows it. You get the clear clue in verse 2. We're told there he was rich or wealthy. Now, this guy, is the, he's the James Packer of the ancient world. Right? He has more money than he knows what to do with. Now, again, if you're rich and wealthy, I'm not having a go at you, but you do need to understand the way Luke's gospel unfolds at this point. Zacchaeus, uh, being told he's a wealthy man, reminds us back into chapter 18 of Jesus' encounter with a rich young man. Uh, if we gone through that you would have seen there's a rich young man who comes up to Jesus and asks what does he have to do to inherit eternal life and Jesus says to him well just sell everything you have and follow me and we're told at the end of that incident that he went away sad and that's because money was more important to him than God was then you get this verse uh, chapter 18 verse 25 where Jesus makes this comment about the wealthy. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. 
Zacchaeus is an uber-wealthy man. Unlike the guy in chapter 18 who was a good-living man, Zacchaeus is not a good-living man. So he's wealthy and not good-living. He is a sinful ratbag. But Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. And again, we have this play on words because at the end of Luke chapter 18, uh, there is a blind man who's given his sight and can see Jesus. And then what you have here in chapter 19 is a man who is spiritually blind who wants to see Jesus. He wants to encounter him. He can't, so he runs on up ahead, climbs up a tree and waits. Now, uh, this may just be me, but at my age, I don't climb trees so much anymore. Uh, it's, it's sort of not, not even though I've got grandchildren, I let them do the climbing right now, right? And uh, what we have is Zacchaeus, though. Yeah, he's, he's a man with sort of negative status, but he's, you know, like a, a drug baron in the ancient world. You don't normally see drug barons scaling up trees to catch, catch an eyeful of someone important. Right? It's an unusual step for him to take. I take it that Zacchaeus really wanted to see Jesus. So we go on. And what we discover is the, the impossible becomes possible. That's the way the story unfolds. Jesus reaches the spot where Zacchaeus is and he looks up and sees him in the tree. Now, what would you have said to Jesus in that sort of moment, what would you have done? Bearing in mind, he's got this crowd of people with him, following him down the street, and he spots in this tree the enemy of the people. I reckon if you were um, trying to play the crowd, you'd put down Zacchaeus and keep going. You know, you'd gather momentum. You'd know, say, you'd look up and say, oh, look, there's a monkey in there. Oh, no. It's Zacchaeus, you know, and you get this cheap laugh from the crowd. Keep moving on. I reckon that would have been, it would have been a really easy thing to do that, uh, to take advantage of that. Jesus doesn't try to embarrass him. Verse 5. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. But I want you to notice something about that. Notice Jesus says, I must stay at your house today. But go back to verse 1 in the section. Look what it says there. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Right? He is passing through and must stay. <laughs> it's interesting. Passing through, must stay. And what we have here is yeah, what the, um, the academics who study Luke's gospel, they talk about it being a divine must. And here's what they've got in mind. Back in Luke chapter 9, uh, Jesus sets his, we're told he sets his face to go to Jerusalem, the place where he will suffer and die. When we get to Luke chapter 19, Jesus is almost there. And back in Luke chapter 9, Jesus explains why he must go to Jerusalem. He talks in this way. He says, The Son of Man, a way of talking about himself, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, 
the chief priests and the teachers of the law and must be killed and on the third day be raised again to life. He must go to Jerusalem because he must suffer and die for the salvation of lost people. That's, that's the mission he is on. And now we hear he must stay at Zacchaeus' house so that Zacchaeus can be saved. And that's exactly what happens. Verse 9, here's Jesus' comment. Today, salvation has come to this house. You see, the impossible becomes possible. Uh, the rich man who humbles himself like a little child before Jesus. Zacchaeus is the camel who gets through the, the eye of the needle. Here's the rich man who gets saved. Here's the chief sinner who receives mercy. That's who this man is. What I'm going to do for just a, a few moments is just to think about where this lands for us, uh, how we should think about it uh, for church here at Mount Barker. So what is the application? Uh, what we've done is we've, uh, we've put together a list of um, 75 of the wealthiest people here in Mount Barker. We've got their addresses and their names. We're going to give you one of those name, names as you head out today and their address. And afterwards, what we'd like you to do is go around to their place, knock on the door and say, I must stay at your house for lunch today, okay? I, it's probably not a great application, but uh, yeah. So, what is going on with this story? Uh, how would you think it through in terms of what we do as a church? Well, here are a few thoughts. The first really is a question. Uh, Zacchaeus seems to experience a pretty radical change of life, and you've got to wonder if he's just responding emotionally to what's going on. Um, verse 8. We're told that after Je Jesus comes back to his house, uh, Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the, the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. If I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. Uh, again, imagine uh, I'm in the city. I uh, overstay my park somewhere and I get a fine of, uh, you know, $42, right? So I, I realise they're supposed to do everything by credit card right now, but I decide I want contact with real people. So I go into the office to pay my bill. I pull out a $100 note and I hand it over and I say, $42, I say, keep the change, right? This is just my gift to the council this week, right? Can you imagine, would you ever do that? That's what Zacchaeus is doing here. See, when it comes to the statements, uh, what he does with his money, there was no rule in the Old Testament about giving half your money away to the poor. There, it was over the top to pay people back four times what he'd ripped them off. No requirement in the Old Testament that that should be the case. And, I mean, wasn't it Jesus who said, we'll always have the poor with us, right? Um, Surely it would have been smarter to invest in a factory and uh, give them a job, you know, and make a bit more money and, you know, multiply it. Like, what, what, what is going on here that he does this sort of 
radical thing that was actually unrequired. I mean, what advice would, should Jesus have given him? See, I want you to imagine Nathan. Nathan Watts is a regular here. Nathan's a believer. But let's say today he felt impacted by the story of Zacchaeus. And he came to me after the service. He said, Paul, I've been struck by the gospel. It's a wonderful thing. I'm going to go away and sell my house and give it to the poor and carrying the kids, we'll find a tent somewhere, we'll be fine, you know. Uh, I would probably encourage him to step back, sit back, yeah, for a couple of days and think this one through, you know, be wise, sensible. Jesus doesn't do that with Zacchaeus. You see, it's not because it's a rush of blood to the head. It is a shot of grace to the heart. Uh, This man is transformed by the gospel. He says, today, salvation has come to my house. His life is touched at the most profound and deep level. And you see the evidence of it. So can I ask you, if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and this has been your experience of God's grace can I ask where does it land in your life Um, how you experience this sort of Zacchaeus you know impact it's interesting for me I some of you will know this I grew up as a son of a bank manager My parents both came through the Depression. And we grew up in a family where you could never actually have enough money in the bank. It was impossible by definition to do that. We're a saving, careful, cautious family. And the goal was to accumulate enough money so you could live for three or four lifetimes, not just one, because we had that experience of in the past. Now, don't hear me criticising my parents at that point. I'm just telling you background stuff. So for me, uh, when I became a Christian, I had to rethink the whole way in which I approached finances and generosity and being, I guess, profoundly impacted by the grace of God as I went about that. Now, you might think for a moment, this is so typical. You know, pastors are always asking people to give more money to the church, right? I don't care. Give it anywhere you like. Give it to the poor. Give it to mission. Uh, give it to some other charity. Right? Give it some other parachurch gospel work. But don't make excuses for being mean with your money. Don't make, don't make excuses for hanging on to it and think in some way that you can. Right? See, where does the gospel find its impact in your life? And I don't think it's just with money. Not by any means. Um, Turning from sin because the gospel has profoundly influenced the way you think about your life, what you do with your money, your time, um, your courage when it comes to sharing the gospel with other people. See, if if you've been bitten by the grace of God, I'm just asking, can you identify how that's totally changed your life? in an ongoing sort of way, we should be able to do that. But also recognise that 
here in this account, what we have is something that is ultra impossible that God makes possible. It wasn't that long ago that I caught up with three mates that I went through uh, university with. And uh, they have all continued on, had very successful careers as lawyers. And we had, um, we had a wonderful dinner together. It was great to catch up with them and to see, see them. But, you know, I came away thinking they're all such a long way from God. You know, not because they're living, you know, outrageously immoral lives or anything. They're all sort of pillars, you know, of community. Uh, they're all doing really well. But they have no interest in spiritual things at all, as far as I can tell. And I, I just came away feeling like, oh, you know, it's been 40 years, you know. Nothing's going to change here. I wonder, do you feel that way sometimes about your friends or your family or neighbours or people you work with? God does the impossible. A rich man and a sinner converted and transformed. And I take enormous encouragement from this. But you know, I should, quite honestly, I should never without God's ability to do it. Uh, I became a Christian when I was 20 years of age at university. And I remember one of my, all, all my mates at that time for the, the decade going through high school, university, used to call me Harry, very clever player on my surname. You know, and, uh, but uh, when one of my friends heard I'd become a Christian, he, he said, ah, if Harry can become a Christian, anyone can. Right? That was his comment. It wasn't terribly flattering about uh, the way he viewed me, I don't think, but, uh, but it was true. You know? uh, God brought me to himself and it was a wonderful act of his mercy and grace that, that I didn't deserve. You know? That's the reality. Have you had that same experience? You see, if you have, it's always a miracle of God's kindness towards us and God's mercy and God's grace. And I don't care whether it happened yesterday or 80 years ago. You should never forget it. It should always be the thing that just keeps exciting your heart every time you get up each morning. And, and can I say, if, if God can do that work of grace in my heart, if he can do it in your heart and your life. He can do it in anyone's life, can't he? Why, why would we be so different from anyone else? So, you know, my prayer is that this church, uh, Trinity Church, Man Parker, it'll just be a church full of Zacchaeus. I'm not sure how you say his name in plural, but, you know, just a church full of people who have this ex same experience of Zacchaeus. Now, not only a church that is full of people who have been touched by God's kindness to us, uh, but a church full of people who have compassion for the lost. It's easy to lose that heart. Uh, yeah, Jesus looked up in the tree, called Zacchaeus down, and then Zacchaeus 
took him home and he looked after him. But I want you to notice the crowd response to that in verse 7. All the people saw this and they began to mutter, it's grumble, whinge, if you want to be Australian, you know. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. You know, and I, I get that. I mean, Zacchaeus was the chopper reed of the first century. That's where he stood in the society. He was a contemptible human being. You know, the sort of guy, if you saw coming down the street, you'd work out a reason to cross over to the other side so you just didn't have to encounter him. He was that sort of man. And when it comes to um, taking the gospel of grace to people, isn't that always the case, though? I mean, don't we always encounter people who have messy lives, who are all sort of scrambled around? And if, if that is the case for engaging people with messy lives, isn't that about right? Uh, two weeks ago, I went to the launch of um, a new church plant out at Paraka, so, you know, the opposite side of the city. And I was hanging around out the front, just trying to connect with new people who are coming along uh, to this, this opening of the service. And I met this guy, I'll call him George, wasn't his real name, and uh, I said, yeah, are you here? Sort of, everyone was there for the first time, but here for the first, first time, you know? And uh, he said, yeah. And I said, how come you're here? He said, oh, my mate, you know, he was George, Fred. Fred invited me along. And I said, how do you know Fred? And he said, oh, well, he's now married to my first wife. I thought... Right, okay, you know, and he was meeting Fred there and his first wife and, and uh, Fred's second wife came as well, you know, so they were, there they were sitting in, you know, I've forgotten their names now, George and, uh, and Fred and, you know, Annika or whatever, you know, there they were together. I thought, oh, this is just a little confusing, you know, and uh, I would have thought, but isn't the gospel like that? Do you know what I mean? Isn't, I thought this is exactly the way it should be. You know, that, that this man had gone out of his way. It, Jesus was known as the friend of sinners. That's why he concludes, I've come to seek and to save the lost. Uh, he's come to reach out to people so they might be humbled by forgiveness and mercy shown by God. You know, one of the things that really uh, attracted me to Scott and Keeley when we caught up with them was both their deep love for people but a deep love for lost people. Um, you know, as we got to talk with them over the weekend, they could talk consistently about people that they were concerned for and even sitting down and reading the Bible with. And I thought, that's, a, that's great to hear that the pastor that you're going to have in this church and his wife I like that. One of the referees I rang up said about Keeley, I don't know another woman who has the ability to get alongside women and sit down with them and read the Bible with them. Yeah, non-Christian women, more than Keeley has that gift. Now, don't hold it to accountable to that, but yeah, there was one of the referees who, who said that to me. I was just so encouraged. Jesus said to Zacchaeus, I must stay at your house today. And friends, as a church of followers of the Lord Jesus, we share that same must. Jesus went um, single-mindedly to Jerusalem. 
to die for the helpless and the hopeless, uh, sinners just like Zacchaeus, just like you, just like me. That's why he went. And we as a church, we want to celebrate salvation. Celebrate with great joy uh, what we've been given in the Lord Jesus Christ. And part of that will be to have a really single-minded determination and heart for the lost people in this town and in this region. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And his people, we've experienced it, and so we share that heart together. Can I pray for us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that uh, in this wonderful incident with Zacchaeus, uh, we see your grace and mercy and kindness writ large. Uh, we see uh, in an illustrated form the compassion of our God towards sinful people like us. Father, we pray we'll never recover from grace, uh, that we'll never move on, uh, we'll never think that we've uh, somehow met, reached a different level where we're, our performance is somehow even getting close to what you desire for us. But we'll always realise we're forgiven and people who've received generosity from your hand. And Father, we pray that as a church we'll have that same concern for others. Uh, we know at points it's going to be messy. Uh, we know it'll stretch us. And yet, Father, we pray that you'll help us not to shy away from it, but rather to embrace those around us, to be just like Jesus, to be known as the friends of sinners, the friends of people who are isolated from you. So, Father, we pray you'll graciously go before us in Jesus' precious name. Amen.